Have you ever gotten into a new car, like maybe like a rental? And, and when you first get into it, like you're checking out like where things are located, right? Like where the little knobs are, where's the cruise button, where's the like turn on the radio button. And, and, and you kind of get your bearings and then you, then you actually start driving and you, you kind of lock back into the car you're used to. Right? And, and you, go, it's, it's, it, you go to like turn on the radio and you accidentally like start the windshield wipers and, and then you try to turn them off and then you spray yourself with water because your arm's out the window and you're like, uh, I do this all the time with my wife's car. Uh, we got a new car a couple of years ago, well, new to us at least, and my car had the left side of the steering wheel was where you hit cruise, okay? And you pushed the button up to set the cruise. My wife's car, the left side of the steering wheel button is to turn the radio on. And it would drive me crazy because I didn't drive her car very often. So whenever I would get in her car, we'd start driving somewhere and I would get it set to just the right speed. You know, that like sweet spot where you're going to be faster than everybody, but the cops hopefully won't pull you over. And, and, uh, and, and I would go to push the button to set the cruise at that perfect speed, and the stinking radio would turn on. And I'd be like all of a sudden decelerating, and the car that I just passed, I'm now getting passed by, and then I've got to speed up again and pass them looking like a weirdo, and then somehow set the cruise. Like, all of us understand that sometimes when we fall into rhythms and, and habits, ways of living that we're used to, it can be really hard to kind of reset, to relearn new habits. Now, I think this is especially true the older we get, but it's true for all of us. Uh, this is actually why this study that we've been doing in First Peter actually has some real promise and value for us because Peter's actually writing to these new Christians who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire to actually know how to engage with some new learning. It takes work to do things differently. In fact, N.T. Wright uh, talked a little bit about this. Let me read you a quote. He said, this was true in the first century and it's increasingly so in the 21st. He said, but it's not easy for Western Christians faced with this shift to unlearn habits and learn the necessary new ones. We're not as used, as many Christians have had to be, to treading the fine line between sinking without trace into the surrounding culture, on the one hand, and adopting a standoffish, holier-than-thou approach on the other. How does a Christian behave when surrounded by a world that doesn't understand what we're about and is potentially hostile? That's a fantastic question. How does the Christian behave when surrounded by a world that doesn't understand what we're about and is potentially hostile. Now, and that's the question that Peter's actually been helping to answer for these Christians that he has pastored and loves and cares for that, that have now been exiled into different places around the Roman Empire. Do you remember last week, uh, Dr. Bird shared with us this uh, map and he just kind of showed where Rome is and where a lot of these uh, individuals were then shipped out from into those places in what is now modern-day Turkey. Bithynia, Pontus, Cappadocia, Galatia, 
all right, what, what we call Asia, at least that's what they would have called it back then. And so they're kind of in these like outer posts of the Roman Empire, and they're trying to figure out how to not just survive, because that was a legitimate issue, the kind of persecution that these Christians were under, but, but also how they were supposed to then be a witness, be a light, be what Jesus called salt in their communities, in their towns and villages. And so Peter writes this letter, and, and we're kind of in a, a chunk here now, kind of at the end of some really hard teaching that Peter's been giving. It kind of started in the end of chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father on the day that he visits us. And he kind of starts there and then goes into talking to slaves and to, to wives, to, to husbands, to, to folks who are seen as outcasts and weird and strange and with very little power in their society, some no power, no legal standing even. And he says, this is how I want you to live. And, and now we're getting to the very end of this section where he's kind of wrapping it up. And, and what Peter's going to do is kind of give us uh, two things that we're going to look at today. One's found in verse 8. The next is found in the preceding verse, or excuse me, the preceding? That would be before. Receding? What would you say? The following. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a professional. And so uh, both of those actually then lead us to what I think the Holy Spirit desires that we would pay attention to here at TLC this morning, and that's really kind of verses 15 and 16. Uh, so what I'd like to do uh, this morning is I'd like to start simply by reading our passage together, and then, then we're going to break it up, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 16. You can follow along on your phone if you have your Bible app or your paper Bible, which as Gary reminded us makes you a way better Christian. Just kidding. Peter says this, finally, so now we know he's getting to the end of this time. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repair, uh, repay evil with blessing because on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now he's going to quote from Psalm 34. He says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Key point in this passage. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The word of the Lord. Peter starts off by, in verse 8, talking to 
the church. Okay, these are kind of his closing comments on this particular passage, this chunk within the letter, if you will. And he says, finally, all of you, and that's how we know he's talking to the church. These are the people that he's written, and he's kind of already given some specific instructions to slaves and wives and, and husbands and uh, those who are just kind of seen as weirdos, outcasts. And he says, finally, all of you, and, and that's verse 8 is going to kind of basically be these five characteristics of the powerfully united church, okay? And this is like for insiders, how they're supposed to treat one another within the church. And he basically has these five words, all right? We're supposed to be like-minded. I'm going to hit each one of them as we go. Uh, this is actually a Greek word, homophrones. Uh, it kind of has this idea of the same or togetherness. It's harmonious in heart and mind, all right? Uh, you ever heard somebody that can sing harmony? I can't sing harmony to save my life. All right, give me a melody. I can kind of sing along with it. Not very well, but I can like, you know, keep up. Those that can like harmonize though, there's something that's really beautiful about that. I remember the first time that I went to uh, Brenda's house uh, when we were dating and uh, all of her brothers are musical and she had three of her four brothers that were home at the same time. It was for Thanksgiving and uh, within 10 minutes of us being there and they're hugging and saying hi and da 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 da, uh, they sat down at the piano. Her brother started to play the piano, play some hymns and she and her other two brothers gathered around him and they literally started singing four-part harmony. And I was like, what is this, the Von Trapp family? What's going on? Like, I don't like the Filipino Von Trapps. I don't even know what that would, Von Trappinos. So I remember sitting there, though, and thinking to myself, like, this is weird, number one, okay? But number two, it's actually quite beautiful. There's something that's pretty cool about four people singing different notes, but for the same song, for the same reason, going in the same direction. There's something that's powerful about that, that rich, diverse, and deep. They were like-minded. They were harmonious. They were together. That's one of the key things that Peter says to this church, like, hey, if you want to show the world a better way, a different way, how you treat one another, this has to be a part of that. And that Next word is sympathetic, which simply means understanding and supportive. Understanding, you, we're willing to try to pay attention to what other people are feeling and understand them, not just see what they say or listen to their words, but really understand what's going on behind it. And then he says that we're supposed to love one another. And the best way to describe that is to love one another. <laughs> so the fourth one is simply compassionate, empathetic considerate. When you have empathy for somebody, you're, you're trying to really understand what they've experienced and what they're feeling and why it is that way. And, and if this Christian community was going to survive, they had to be compassionate to one another, to, to really get why they're frustrated or hurting or we can't just simply say, buck up, deal with it. And the last one uh, is the word humble, this idea of meekness. A lot of times, um, it's very, very interesting, actually. Uh, this is one particular characteristic that the Greco-Roman world um, did not 
defined as a positive. Humility was negative, purely and only negative. Nobody wanted to be humble. You were only humble based on uh, where you landed in society. Greco-Roman society very much cared about stratifying everything. And the goal was not to be humble. The goal was to be at the top. And so when New Testament writers and Jesus himself lived in a humble manner, uh, a sense of meekness, which uh, meek is not weak. Meekness is power under control. When Jesus modeled this, and the New Testament writers highlighted it as something to pursue, it would have absolutely flown in the face of the Greco-Roman world. There's power in humility. And he basically says these are the five things that the church needs to practice if they're going to stand out, if they're going to show this world that we have something better to offer. And it's true for us today as well. Um, I want to read a couple of quotes. Uh, This is from uh, Dr. Christina Cleveland. She's a social psychologist. Uh, She said this. She said, research shows that, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, the act of adopting a common identity that supersedes all other identities is a daunting, even painful act. However, research shows that it is the key to true unity. It is. Uh, It is consistent with Jesus' teachings that the household of God is to take precedent over all other households. Now listen to what she says. To embrace our identities in this new common family, we must engage in the difficult process of lessening our grip on the identities that we have idolized and clung to for far too long. In many ways, this process will jar our souls, wreaking havoc on the satisfyingly homogeneous existence in which we were rooted. Oh my goodness. Do you know how much we often do this, friends? Here in America, this homogeneous existence in which we are rooted, that we are usually satisfied by, right? Uh, Think about the things that you maybe kind of connect with. Hardworking, scrappy, resourceful, conservative. That's, That's my people. Uh, educated, enlightened, progressive. Though that, that's my people. Well, I'm young or I'm old, I'm white, I'm black, I'm brown. Born and raised in Grand Rapids. Ah, uh-uh, I'm not from here, man. I'm a transplant. I was born here. I made the city great. I came here to finally make the city great. <laughs> We, we all bring with us these idolized identities. She goes on to say, at first it will feel painfully unnatural to lose those to then cling and conform to the Christian identity. At first it will feel painfully unnatural because we have lived outside of our true identities for so long that the truth seems wrong. Uh, Dr. Karen Jobes, theologian, said this in the Baker Academic Commentary. She said, be like-minded, understanding, showing brotherly love, compassionate, and humble. She quotes Peter. 
She says, such qualities are essential for a truly Christian life, but how do they compare with the values of the society in which we live? These are qualities that presume a high commitment to the stability and well-being of the community. Modern Western concepts of individualism tend to override commitment to community. Listen to what she says. Where commitment is found, it is often evaluated in terms of individual needs. An individual whose needs are no longer met by a community terminates the commitment and seeks a new and more obliging group. Such thinking runs counter to the qualities of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Like-mindedness implies a willingness to conform one's goals, needs, and expectations to the purposes of the larger community. To our American ears, that honestly sounds blasphemous. It's, if I'm honest, hard for me to actually preach because I feel like such a hypocrite. If it's not meeting my needs, then I have to go somewhere else. I have needs. They need to be met, and the Christian community needs to meet them. The only one that's ever going to truly meet our needs is God himself. And while I do believe that the Christian community is intended to help meet our needs, way too often we mistake needs for wants, desires, preferences. And in a community like GR, we've got lots and lots of different options. And so way too quick, we run to the next thing simply because it's what we hope, desire, are longing for, rather than saying, I'm willing to step in even when I don't love it and sacrifice my own desires for the sake of the community. It was easier for Peter to write this to folks that didn't have another option. Way harder for us today to look at this and say, man, that's actually a real powerful calling that God is placing on my life. And I get it, man. I'm the dude with the microphone, right? I'll tell you, I've wrestled with this. As the, as the lead pastor of this church, I have, I have a responsibility and a privilege to try to listen to God's voice for the direction that he's calling us to go. I don't do this all by myself. There's a staff that we work together to discern. We've got a leadership team that holds us accountable to that where we discern together. But I recognize I have, an, I have a larger voice than probably any other single person. And I, I feel the weight of that, to be honest. If I'm going to say to you, listen to the word of God, and let's collectively be like-minded, loving one another, living harmoniously with each other, right? Compassionate, sympathetic, humble. Then first and foremost, I've got to live that too. And I don't always do it perfectly. Okay, strike that. I never do it perfectly. I fall short of that way too often. And I also recognize the reality that in many ways, I, I have the privilege and responsibility 
of kind of being the tip of the spear in the direction that we point. I'm not the only voice, but I get that I have a loud voice. And so when we say we think this is where God's calling us, we think this is why God has assembled us, we think this is where God's asking us to go, I get that there are some that are like, man, I don't know that that's how I would want to do it. I don't know that that's exactly the direction I would want to go. And yet, God's called me to this place. And my pastor is standing up there, and he's saying this, but he's also saying I'm supposed to be like-minded. How does that work? I don't know, man. It's hard. Just being real. And you're going to have to fight against most of the American inclinations that you and I have been raised with to say, you know what, I'm willing to set aside my preferences, desires at times, to be a part of this community because I believe that when I am these things that Peter has called us to, not Peter, but God, the Spirit, that God's going to do something powerful and amazing through my sacrifice, that life is actually found not when I'm getting my way all the time, but actually when I'm laying my life down. And everything that I'm saying to you, I sure as heck had better be saying to myself in a mirror as well. So I get what this means for the community that Peter was writing to, and I get what this means for our community as well. And I'm simply telling you that I'm going to do my best to try to be these five things. And the staff is doing that as well, and our leadership team is doing that as well. Because we know that we have a responsibility to make Grand Rapids as it is in heaven. That's what we're going after. Uh, Okay, so there's a second piece here now, and it's really uh, Peter's going to change what he's talking about from the community where he gives them these five words of how we're supposed to respond to then how we're supposed to interact with those outside. This is verses 9 through 14. So let me read those again for us. He says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. So talk good, do good. And then he says, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. He says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now, why why does he say this? We have to remember how he started all of this. And we're going to get there in just a second. But have you ever been with with a little kid who's not getting their way? And they get mad at you, and so like they'll, they'll like hit you, or try to like call you names. Okay, what do you do in response? Well, you hit them back, of course. <laughs> How dare you, little punk? How dare you? Right? You called me a name. Watch what I can say to you. No, of course we don't do that, do we? No, 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 we don't. And. Peter assumes that they're not going to do that. Don't repay evil with evil. Why? Well, the reason I don't do it to a little kid is because I'm the parent. I'm the one with real power. I'm the one who's secure in who I am. And Peter is trying to tell 
these followers of Jesus, this church, who they really are. That's what he does back in chapter two. He's like, look, I know that the world sees you as slaves. I know that the world sees you as uh, um, wives of little power and, and Christian husbands who are supposed to care for their wives in some of the most intimate spaces in spite of the fact that the rest of society thinks you're an idiot for doing that. He's like, look, you guys are strange. You're, you're weird. You don't fit in. That's what the world thinks of you. The world thinks you have little power, that you're poor and, and weak. But he's already reminded them who they actually are. They're not just a little kid trading blows or unkind words. They are, as he says in 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen people, right? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. That's who they really were. Which meant that they were coming from a place of power and security. It didn't matter what everybody else thought of them. That's why he can say, look, if somebody repays you or gives you evil, don't repay them with evil. Uh, I can remember um, when uh, Kingston, he's my, my third boy. I got look at that. Kai and Max. Uh, when Kai was about this age, maybe a little bit younger, uh, if he got mad at us, he didn't hit us, but he would say some things. Uh, the first thing uh, that, that he would say if we didn't give him what he wanted is he would say, you're not doing good. You're not doing good. That was his way of saying, like, you're not giving me what I want. And, and if he still didn't get it and he actually got more angry, all right, then he would bring out the nuclear weapons, all right? He would go from you not doing good to you're not my best friend. You're not my best friend. You're not coming to my birthday party. That's what he would say, and he would say all the time. It was the best. We thought it was hilarious. You're not my best friend. You're not coming to my birthday party. That to him was like the worst thing you could possibly say, right? Not allowed to come to his birthday party. Little did he know we're the ones throwing it for him, but that's okay. Uh, I was thinking about this. You can take that down because he gave me permission to share that story, but I don't want to embarrass him too much. I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, I was kind of in my little home office and I was working through the message. And I was thinking about uh, how he would say those things, his way of trying to hurt us. And I was thinking about like, what if I, what if I tried to act the same way to him? And, and tried to be mean in response. And, and, and would say to him, the worst thing back, well, you're not, you can't, it's my birthday tomorrow and you can't come. And, and thinking of my, my little two-year-old, three-year-old son and his heart just being broken. Trying to hurt him the same way that he was trying to hurt me. And, and it was, I mean, it's kind of a dumb thing, but I'm sitting there in my home office and I'm, I start like tearing up, thinking about like, what if I did that to him? Like, how, and to, like thinking about breaking my son's heart, this, this kid that I love. He's coming at me what he thinks from a place of power, using all that he can to try to, to hurt me. But, but really, I know who I am. I know, I know my identity. I'm actually in the place of power. I'm, I'm, 
I'm chosen by God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's what Peter's saying to them. You're in a place of power, even though the world doesn't see it that way. You are. And, and as I started to like literally think about that and kind of hurt in my heart and tears are coming to my eyes, I, it felt like Jesus said, yeah, you finally get it. You finally get it. This is how, this is how I want you to feel to the outside world. The outside world that might ridicule you, that might physically hurt you, that might tell you that you're stupid for believing what you believe, for living the way that you live, that might call you unloving, that might say that you're this thing or another that's going to put you down, put you in a corner, try to tell you that you're irrelevant and powerless. When they do that, do you hurt for them? Do you feel so deeply for not wanting to break their heart that you're willing to you're willing to simply take the abuse and instead of repaying evil for evil rather offer a blessing in response you see friends when we live as a christian community that's unified in harmony really sympathetic for one another compassionate loving one another humble with one another an outside world sees that they see how we treat each other. They see how we treat our wounded. They see how we lock arms and love one another in spite of our flaws. And they also see how we respond when we're beaten, when we're hurt, when we're put down, when we're shoved to the side. Do we respond in like? Do we repay evil with evil or do we repay evil with blessings? When we repay evil with blessings, the world stands up and takes notice. And that's what brings us to verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We have to be prepared. When we live this way, friends, finally our reward begins to come. Yes, our reward is that one day Christ will show that he truly is king in control, God almighty, and we are his children. That has been declared as true. It will happen. It may not happen when you want it to, though. In the meantime, the reason that we repay evil with blessings is so that we will have the opportunity to tell other people about the hope that we found. When we live that way, people are like, yo, what is up with you? Now, maybe the person who's like trying to cancel you, trying to push you to the side, verbally attacking you, possibly even physically attacking you. Maybe that person won't be the first to ask, but other people around will. What's up with you? Why are you act? Why are you're different? And then we have a chance to say, yeah, it's because of Jesus. <laughs> like he, he's done something in my life I found freedom and, and forgiveness in a way that I never had before. Uh, this is why Peter actually says, you don't need to be afraid. When he quotes from Isaiah chapter eight, don't fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Why can he say that? Because he knows who he is. He knows who they are. Regardless of what the world says or does, our identity has already been solidified. Our future has already been solidified. And we have to live in that way. You don't have to be afraid or anxious. That's why we can return blessings for evil. We can seek peace so that people will ask us. We're supposed to be people of action, not people of reaction. 
the anxious react, the secure relax. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton, um, she's got a fantastic leadership podcast called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Uh, I was listening to, to her podcast the other day and she said this, Jesus is not anxious. And it reminded me of something that uh, Dallas Willard once said when he was asked, uh, tell me, uh, how would you describe Jesus in one word? And uh, Dallas Willard said, uh, Jesus is relaxed. Jesus is relaxed. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Oh, isn't that so beautiful? The Lord is my shepherd. If God is your God, then there is nothing you need that you lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Man, when I live that kind of a life, when I believe that, I'm relaxed. I'm not anxious. I don't have to freak out. I don't have to be afraid, regardless of what's happening to me, regardless of what's going on around me. You want to be different in this world? You want people to come up to you and say like, yo, what's up with you? Learn how to be like Jesus, differentiated, relaxed, non-anxious presence. When we live like we lack nothing, we can return blessing for evil. And friends, it's then that we can relax because we have nothing to fear. This is the call that Peter put out the Holy Spirit gave him to say to these fledgling churches, look, we don't really understand what it was like to be a Christian at that time. Our culture is so different. But there are things that we can learn from them. These are the things we have to learn. How to be unified, caring for one another. How to live in a world that might be hostile towards us. And when we do, we have the privilege of sharing that we're not freaking out, we're not afraid, because God is our shepherd. Let's not just talk about it, let's actually live that way. Let's actually go back out into our places of work, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, and through the power of the Spirit, we will learn to be like Jesus, a non-anxious presence, relaxed. Jesus, let us not just talk about it, but actually be about it. God, it's so easy for, uh, for me to talk about, and yet so often I recognize how often I get nervous, I get afraid. God, it's why at times I don't actually, um, I have a hard time loving one another, <laughs> or being humble, or being in harmony, or sympathetic, or compassionate, because I feel like I somehow need to protect myself. When Jesus, really what you're saying is, no, I don't need to. I have everything I need because God is my shepherd. And when I'm able to live into that reality, when we're able to live into that reality, people come and say, what is up with you? Jesus, let us be ready to answer that. Keep moving in our lives. Pray this in your beautiful and powerful name. Amen.